Welcome to League of Lit, where we discuss books, adaptations, and anything else we wish to talk about and tie it to lit, because we can. This is kind of the because we can episode. One of many. <laughs> In a way. Yes. Like, yeah, because we're allowed to do whatever we want. It is our podcast. We're allowed to change things as we see fit. Hence the number of episodes that have been longer than 45 minutes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. We are very good at keeping everything very short and sweet. Something we may revisit for uh, season two. Yeah. Um, well, today, I mean, technically speaking, this is literature. Yes, we are. We are reaching into a different realm of literature. We're going to the comic book world. Yes. Also known as the graphic novel area, because they're kind of the same thing, at least in structure. Yeah. Um, but obviously graphic novels are longer than most comic books, but they have a similar style. So yeah, I would, I would classify them as being very similar. So start off. Let me tell you people, it is a truth universally acknowledged that we are not a spoiler free podcast and we are going to spoil, I don't know, many things for you today or nothing for you, depending on who you are. This is very true. Depends on how interested you are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. depending on which side you fall in. Typically, if you're into the Marvel Comics, you're also into the MCU, but... They are a little different in some ways, so some people tend to fall on one side or the other. Yes. Um, so today we're talking about Captain America. Specifically, the first Avenger in the MCU. Yes. Um, we'll give you sort of background on the actual character of Captain America as far as the Marvel comics go. Um, we're not going to go super in depth, but we are going to talk about that. And then we'll go into what is the first Captain America movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. Um, so to start that off, Captain America, um, was published by Marvel Comics. It was created by cartoonists Joe Simon and Jack Kirby And he first appeared in Captain America Comics number one, which was cover dated March of 1941. Which we get to see in the first Avenger. Yes. His creation. With a little bit of a cover change because what was the 1941 like original published thing also like the cover also featured Bucky Barnes. Mm hmm. But the way that the MCU takes the character of Bucky Barnes is different than what the comics do. So they had to change the cover for the movie. Yep. So a little, I guess, a little background on Captain America. For people who don't know, he was designed as a patriotic super soldier. Um, So he would often fight what were the Axis powers of World War II. And it was sort of their way of kind of making good things happen during a time that was very hard for the entire world. And Captain America is the alter ego of Steve Rogers, who was a frail little tiny baby, who they enhanced um, with a super soldier serum um, after he joined uh, the military. Which again, in First Avenger, we'll sort of explore that whole... We get really, honestly, I love the First Avenger, because we get this really nice look at in depth at how he got his start, where some of the other Marvel cinematic movies, you don't get as much of that. This is very true. Um, 
because they're just supposed to be kind of. This is the story. Here you go. Yes. I will say, because I, I do want to discuss this just a tad, that it's interesting how Captain America, his like physical descriptors, is the same as what Adolf Hitler wanted. Yeah, <laughs> I think... soldiers. He is a blonde-haired, th- blue-eyed yeah. boy. <laughs> I think they did that on purpose. I mean, there's nothing that I read in my research that said that they did it on purpose. But I mean... Hitler was spouting all that stuff before this came out. Yes. I think Captain America First Avenger follows a lot of the, like, sort of original stuff of Captain America really well. Um, To, you know, to the ending where he gets essentially trapped in ice and is in suspended animation until they discover him again. Another thing that I noticed, like, in reading, like, some of the stuff about um, the comics is it mentions that he is an orphan and I don't really remember in the first Avenger it, it really referencing that. No. Cause he has a mom. Her name is Sarah in the movie, in the Marvel cinematic universe. But when is that mentioned? That's mentioned in winter soldier. So that could have been, yeah, it's not referenced at all in the first movie. Right. The first Avenger doesn't really even like touch much of his parentage at all. I mean, he is technically an orphan because like they're both dead, but but like we're meeting him as an adult. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like that's in a way a character coloring thing. Mm-hmm. Or at least it seems like it's supposed to be important because when you look on Marvel.com and you read the biography of Captain America, aka Steve Rogers, it mentions it. Maybe they just thought it wasn't important in the first movie. I don't know. I don't know either. But we can go ahead and hop into talking about the movie that was released July 22nd, 2011. Was directed by Joe Johnston. And the script writers were Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, which we just recently talked about Stephen McFeely because he was one of the writers on one of the Narnia films, if not both of them, if I remember correctly. That's so funny. And then we obviously have mentioned Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, who wrote the comics um, that it's all based on. So they are also given kind of writing credits as well. Yeah. Um, Digging into the cast a little bit with a little bit of some fun facts mixed in. Obviously, Chris Evans is Captain America, a.k.a. Steve Rogers. He denied the role three times before accepting it. I just... I, nobody else could play this character for me. Chris Evans is just Steve Rogers. But the reason why he wasn't sure about taking the role is because he didn't really want to give up his private life. Yeah, I think he was nervous that it would feel like everybody was, like, watching him. I mean, we are, but, like, he's still, like, very, very much a private person. <laughs> but it was a mix of Robert Downey Jr. and Joe Johnston who convinced Chris Evans to take this role. Gotta love our DJ. So we have them to thank for Chris yes, Evans being so Captain much. America. Thank you so much. Uh, for Bucky Barnes, we have Sebastian Stan. Love him. I mean, I think he's great. I just always look at him and I just remember that he was in that movie, The Covenant, which is not a great movie. <laughs> See, the other thing that I have in my 
head for him is Once Upon a Time because mm-hmm, he played he the Mad Hatter. Mad Hatter, yeah. He's always played really kind of dark roles. You have Haley Atwell as Agent Carter, and she based her like portrayal of Agent Carter as like it's quote everything Captain America can do, but backwards and in heels. I love Peggy Carter. I love Haley Atwell's interpretation of Peggy Carter. And when they canceled Agent Carter, I was very upset about it. Um, we have who I would call the master of the villain, uh, Hugo Weaving, as Red Skull. He's definitely the master of the villain. Like, you can't help but, like, enjoy the villain when it's Hugo Weaving, Weaving playing it. He's so good at it. Mm-hmm. So good at it. We have Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark. Good choice. I mean... I just think about him and Mamma Mia every time I see it. See, he was in um, a short miniseries that was about Ian Fleming and his like creation of James Bond. And Howard Stark and the, the, his like portrayal of Ian Fleming are very similar. So that's what I think of. <laughs> um, who else is in it? Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in it. He plays Colonel Chester Phillips. Yes. We have Stanley Tucci, who is uh, the doctor who creates the serum for Captain America. He was not in this movie enough. That's all I got to say. Also true. We have Richard Armitage. I love that he has like this little cameo. He has a very tiny role. And in all honesty, there's only like one aspect of it that it's like when you watch it's like, no, 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 that is in fact Richard Armitage. But up until that point, I don't know why my brain just didn't register that that's who it was. It takes a minute. And then I think it's when he's like talking and he's getting ready to pop the thing. Yeah. That's when he's that I was like, that's Richard Armitage. Yes. (laughs) I just think of, um, I just think of the BBC Robin Hood whenever I see him. It's like he was in that. He was in the Hobbit films. He was in MI5. Like, he's done a lot of things. Um, we have two Game of Thrones alumni in this. We have Natalie Dormer and David Bradley. Both also play small roles. There's a lot of, like, quote, big name actors in small roles. Playing tiny roles, yeah. Which I don't know if that just shows how much people really enjoy being in. Like in MCU at yeah. some way, shape, or form, but and this was like in that like beginning stages. Yeah, this was still very much stage one of the MCU. Simon Coons, please tell me you know who this is. Simon Coons. Uh huh. He was Martin in The Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. And he played the doctor who denies Steve the first time we meet him. Why did I not even catch that? <laughs> like, I remember when I when I put that together, I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, J.J. Feld is in this movie. Yes, but he's in the crew. So you, ha- you yes. see his face more. So yeah. it's like, hey, we have like a reoccurring thing here. But that's like, w- like one scene. Yeah. And... Yeah, I definitely didn't like recognize it the first time I saw it. I know because yeah. I didn't realize and it. And when I, I see watched it, recently, I'm like, like, I'm like, what? <laughs> I would not have recognized him. But I think those are all the uh, 
quote notable actors. Yeah. Using Samuel Jackson's in here. it at the end. <laughs> right. As, but it's like as far as people that quote play a part yeah. in getting Steve to where we meet him in the sense of like being part of the Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is where we get to. So essentially the beginning of this movie, it's nineteen forty two and America has just entered World War II. And Steve Rogers, who is so teeny and so sickly is desperate to um, join the war effort. Which we do get to see as um, as the doctor who, who is denying him the first time that we meet him anyways. Uh, we do get a quick like pan over of the list of things that are wrong with Steve. Oh my God. And it's insane. <laughs> he has asthma. He said scarlet fever, rheumatic fever, sinusitis, sinusitis, sorry, it's like a little blurry, chronic or frequent colds, high blood pressure, palpitation or pounding in heart, easy fatigability, heart trouble, nervous trouble of any sort, has had household contact with tuberculosis, and a parent or sibling with diabetes. It's just insane. Steve Rogers, everybody. Absolutely insane. Which is why they keep saying, no, you can't be in the military. You couldn't even be in the military if you have flat feet. But like the doctor even says like on asthma alone, you'd be denied. So because you have all this else, you're like extra denied, dude. Yeah. Like we could just say that it's this, but like you have a list, like a paragraph. So it's it's yes. no. Yeah. And it's also in that same scene that it's referenced um, like, he asks, like, what his dad died of, and he says mustard gas. But that's the closest I think we get to discussing his parentage. parentage in this movie. In this movie. Yeah. Because that just by mentioning his dad, that doesn't necessarily indicate that, like, oh, he's an orphan. Like, you kind of naturally assume that his mom is also still alive. Yeah, because they never say anything about it. But they don't mention anything, so. Um. But he's extremely frustrated. He gets extra frustrated because his best friend, Bucky Barnes, uh, has joined. Looking all spiffy and snazzy. Bring back those uniforms, boys. <laughs> Which the Bucky that we get to meet in the MCU is different than the comics because in the comics, yes. he's more of a adolescent, like teenager kind of character mm -hmm. where Obviously, this is meant to be like Steve's equal. Yeah, they're they're meant to be on the same page. Maybe not on the same page because Bucky's taller, but like for now. Well, if after we just read all of Steve's medical history, it's kind of understood why Steve's not as tall as Bucky. So when he goes and gets denied for what is, I don't know, probably like the 20th time, he seems to have tried everywhere. He's lying now about where he's technically from, which is technically illegal. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I'll do anything to yeah. get to get out there and like prove myself. Yeah, um, and it's on his like fifth try. That's like at least stated in the movie as his fifth try um, before he goes in. Um, the doctor, Doctor es Erskine, 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 um, comes in. And essentially recruits Steve for what they're calling Project Rebirth. 
but he's going to send him to boot camp. Right. But like before he even like goes in and like makes it, I want to say, because we don't get to see Steve's journey to get quote behind the curtain to where he actually gets like a whole physical Mm -hmm. that like would quote approve him for going off. Um, when Steve and Bucky are having a, an argument about him going and trying again, like this doctor overhears it. So that it piques his interest. So I want to say he probably pulled some strings to oh, get for Steve sure. to pull along because as we learned from the get go, he would be denied on asthma alone. They wouldn't even let him back there. Mm-hmm. So how did he get back there? Yeah, Dr. Dr. Erskine, Erskine, whatever. Um, I'm just going to call him Dr. Erskine. Dr. Erskine hears that this guy wants this so bad, and he kind of wants to know why. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, his big thing. He's like, what? Because he says it when he comes in. He's like, so you want to go kill some Germans? Because his thought process is anybody who wants it that bad just wants to go fight some people. And Steve's like, I don't like bullies mm-hmm. it's like i don't care who they are i don't like bullies so it's for steve it's about stopping like ending things that are wrong mm-hmm. rather than about just going and you know punching some people around and that's what dr erskine really likes about him yes it's more of we kind of learn a little bit later why um why that's so important to him and it's because of the first time that he tried to do the serum. And he does say that the serum wasn't ready the first go round, but he thinks that he's perfected it now. But the person who it was injected into was definitely not the right kind of person. Because the thing that the serum does is it enhances everything about the person, including the bad qualities. Yeah. So if you're a little bit mean, you're going to be a lot more mean. If you're a little bit full of yourself, you're going to be a lot more full of yourself. Oh, my God. And Steve, who is a little shy baby, is going to be more of a little shy baby. It does take him a little bit to adjust. Oh, really? Yeah, truly. He's He grew like a foot. Yes. Um. So... Steve gets to essentially undergo kind of this experiment choosing somebody because they take all of these recruits that different people have brought mm-hmm. to essentially a boot camp and they're trying to figure out which one of them is going to get to be the first super soldier. Because their goal in the end, which they never did, but their goal was to create an army of super soldiers. Yep. Um which, I mean, that doesn't happen because of a lot of things. But so they're just trying to find the first one, which is when we meet um, Tommy Lee Jones' character, Colonel Phillips, and also um, Peggy Carter, mm-hmm. which I love Colonel Phillips' reaction to Steve when he's having that whole speech. He's walking down the line and he just looks at Steve and he's like, what is this? Who brought a child to my boot camp? 98 pound weakling 98 pound weakling asthmatic you know he he just goes and lists a variety of different all things. of the things but like in his speech he it po- makes him pause for a moment yeah and then he 
decides, okay, I can't show that this actually bugs me, even though it does. So, and some are going to get better. Like that's what he decides <laughs> to go with. It's like, okay. All right. Um, but we get to see him sort of put through these challenges. They're running, they're, you know, crawling in the mud. They're doing everything that I assume you would do at an actual boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing is it really shows that all of that is not just physical endurance because when they get to the flag and they're like, well, whoever can get the flag down can take a ride with Agent Carter back and everybody jump in. They're trying to climb this pole and Steve's just like, well, if you pull the pin, the pole falls. Flag is mine. Mm-hmm. He's very smart, mm-hmm. which I mean, you also have to think the super serum go make him smarter. Mm-hmm. Coming that brain bigger. This is true. I mean, that entire sequence right there just feels like Mulan. Yeah. Like, it's what I think of every single time. Yeah, when she climbs the pole to get up to the top. Yeah. But it's also a test of bravery. He lays on a grenade. It's not a real grenade. It's not going to explode. But mm-hmm. when Colonel Phillips throws that grenade out there, his thought process is, well, I'm just going to show him who's boss. They're all going to duck. That's going to be what it is. And Steve lays on it and tells everybody to get back. He's willing to lay down his life for people that he doesn't even know. Or who have shown him that they don't care about him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because the other thing that's interesting through that process is the person that, that you already know is Colonel Phillips' choice for this Ooh. is the one person who's literally trying to get Steve to leave. He's bullying Steve. He's being a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't actually know if he ever has a name. <laughs> Gilmore Hodge. And from like Philip's perspective, he is the ideal soldier. However, he is a bully and Dr. Erskine like points that out. He knows that if he's a bully like this, he's going to be more of a bully with the super serum. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to do that again. He's already yeah. had that failure once. So they essentially decide, well, guess it's this tiny, skinny, asthmatic kid. He's going to be the one. Um, which he, we find him all alone in the, the, bunk, the bunkers. Bunkers? That's not the right word. Barracks. Barracks. Thank you. I knew it was a B. It was a B. <laughs> we find Steve all alone in the barracks and Dr. Erskine comes and is seeing him the day before it's all supposed to happen, which I love. He brings the alcohol and then he's like, wait, you can't have any of this. Why am I giving you this? You have an operation (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) So he's like, I'll drink yours for you. You're welcome. And that's when we learn about the first time that he made the serum and giving it to somebody and it um, backfiring. Because A, it wasn't ready and B, the person he gave it to was not a very good person. Yep. Which there has been kind of this side story that we haven't really talked a lot about that's sort of been going on during all of this with um, Johann Schmidt. Thank you. I had Johann his name Schmidt. and then I started to say it and it just died in my mouth with, um, with Johann Schmidt, who, I mean, it's essentially working for Hitler, but like not working for Hitler. He's leading kind of- Hydra, which is the like deep cover science ring of yes of the nazis and it turns out that you know 
Johann Schmidt has other plans. Surprise, surprise. surprise what villain surprise. doesn't have bigger plans than what they start with because they can't be happy with what they got. He's, I mean, essentially he wants to even like take over over Hitler. He's like, I'm just doing what that man wants me to do for now until I can defeat him. Mm-hmm. And then I will be in charge. So that's been this great side story of him kidnapping scientists and essentially what it seems trying to do the same thing that we're trying to do in America, create the super soldier. I don't know that he's actually trying to create the super soldier because he's going after what we don't know at the time because we haven't really been introduced to what the actual item is, but it's the Tesseract that, uh, that he is acquiring and it seems like Johann Schmidt's goal is just to become a god because it's a thing that he says over and over again. It's like, you could have the power of the gods or I will have the power of the gods. Like it, yeah. it's the thing he's obsessed with. But we do know he's still, he's trying to recreate the serum because he uses it on Bucky. True. So he's we at least trying to recreate what Erskine did the first time. Yeah, it's just very unclear if that's a His big actual. motivator for him or like whatever. Right. Because it seems it seems more that like power is more important to him than like the what is like making the power his. Yeah. He's got tiny plans and then big plan. Big plan far more important. Yes. So they finally decide to use the serum on Steve, I love the scene of him in the car with Peggy where he's just like, I got beat up in that alleyway and behind that building and over there. And he's just her face. And she asked him why, like if, if he had anything against running away. And I think it's a solid lesson to be like stated in this movie. Cause it seems to be kind of the overarching thing with the theme of Steve, not wanting to, he wants to like get rid of the bullies. He doesn't want to be a bully mm-hmm. of how, you know, it's like, if you stand up to them, they're more likely to leave you alone than if you run away. If you run away, you're giving them exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. So moving it along, they give him the serum when they first do the reveal of um, of Steve post serum, that is 100% Haley Atwell's genuine reaction to I Chris Evans' body. That she was like, okay, all right, wow, yeah, they put oil on this man. Wow. wow. Because she hadn't seen it before then. I mean, it looks great. <laughs> And because of how, like, genuine her reaction is, that's why they kept it. Because there was no way that they were going to get They're like, this is perfect. Yes. Perfect. She almost broke character. She was so overwhelmed by what she saw. I get that on a very deep level, man. (laughs) Um, So... All of this has happened. He has survived, which they weren't sure if that was going to happen. It was always possible that he could die. I mean, remember his long list of medical issues. Yeah. And immediately after that, Dr. Erskine gets murdered. By Richard Armitage's character. So that results in what is the the first moment we get to see Steve really use his powers. 
this crazy wild chase where he chases after the car that he uses to get away. And they eventually end up at the river, which would lead to the ocean. We're in New York. Um, I was like, where am I? And he pulls him out and is like ready to go. And what do villains do best? Apparently, but off themselves when in trouble. That's honestly just what the Nazis did really well. That like tooth cap that's full of poison. Full of cyanide. Yeah. And so that leads into a whole thing of or like, okay, they're going to go after Johann Schmidt and Steve wants to go with them. But for whatever reason, even though he's been given the serum, Phillips is still like, nah, you're not going to. You're not a soldier. He thinks he's not a soldier. So Steve gets propositioned to essentially become what he later terms himself in a drawing as a dancing monkey where he's sailing he's selling bonds and stocks to to support the war efforts it's, which is its own well, brand of it's weird. fun because it's a callback to the original captain america like the first one that was ever really created as far as an adaptation goes with the costume that he wears um but all I can ever think of with that scene, that song that they sing gets stuck in my head. It's very catchy. I'll sit there and suddenly I'll be like, who's strong and brave? And I'm like, no, we don't know. Go away. <laughs> but he gets really good at it. We do see like as much as he's not really here for it. He's like, well, doing my part, I get to hit Hitler every night. Fake Hitler, but still. And then he at some point. I don't, this is the part that I don't really understand is why would they send him to do this little act like bonds pitch to people who are already serving? I think that they thought it would like lift their spirits, but they're just annoyed that this guy in spandex is talking to them about the war. Right. Like all they, they really actually cared about was watching the girls, the dancing girls yeah. that he had with him, which like that I understand. Like doing yeah. some sort of theatrical act makes sense. But what was the point of having I think the- Steve talk about <laughs> buying bonds or doing scrap metal? For things that they were already in the middle of. I think they needed a reason for him to be in Europe to get what happens next to happen. But they could have done that and they could have just, you know, like altered it a little bit. I know, but that's, you know, they wrote this. I didn't. <laughs> well, because I wonder if this is another one of those things, because since we do have a McFeely on this script writing train and we've already discussed how horrible his uh, Caspian and uh, Susan subplot was maybe this was another idea that came from him they were like we'll just make them go over there for the bonds and nobody went but they don't need to buy bonds they're soldiers (laughs) no okay don't listen to me i'm just the crazy person in the back of the room and nobody knows that i got here um but it 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 moves the story along because there he sees peggy again and of course peggy's like wow that was very impressive (laughs) Which is when we get his dancing monkey drawing, uh, mm-hmm. which for those of you who don't know, Steve Rogers is also an artist. That is canon. And that's really the only moment that you actually get to see 
It's never like mentioned ever again, really. They don't really do anything else with it. But we learned that it's the 107th that he was just performing to, which is the regiment that Bucky Barnes was uh, sent to. Which what he saw was who was there. And of course, Bucky's not there. We would have already seen him. Mm-hmm. And so the rest are either captured or killed. And so he's like, excuse me, I have to find my friend. So um, I need to do something right now. And of course, Cap- Colonel Phillips is there. And he's like, no, no, you're not a soldier. Because technically speaking, <laughs> is Steve actually a soldier? He was drafted into the army. So, yes. They just, they never give you the impression that he is until he decides, well, yeah, I'm a captain. I think, I think it plays on that idea of, do you let others' opinions impact how you view yourself Mm -hmm. versus choosing to let your own view of yourself be what you act on? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, you know, Steve, he's not going to let anybody tell him what he can and cannot do. So he and Peggy and Howard Stark, uh, I, I don't know if you'd call it stealing a plane. They hijack a plane in a way. Little plane, tiny plane. I don't think that they do that because I feel like Howard Stark would own one. Yeah, maybe it's just Howard Stark's plane um, when they're talking about fondue. Because Steve thinks that fondue fondue? is a sexual term and fondue is melted cheese. But they essentially drop him into the, what they think is a Hydra location? Base? We'll call it a base. We'll call it a base. That seems good. Because he is determined. He's like, I'm going to find my friend or he's going to be dead. Those are the options. Yeah. Bucky's either going to be alive or he's going to be dead. Which, I mean, that makes sense. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, They did give him a way that they could find him and sort of come help him, but we'll find out later that that didn't really work. So he gets into... He gets in, he finds where the majority of the 107th that's still behind, quote, enemy lines are, are being held, and he releases them. And he learns that Bucky isn't with them. So, of course, he tells the rest of them, you leave. I'm going to go find Bucky. And they're like, are you sure you can do it? He's like, yeah, I've hit Hitler over 200 times. It's like, what? Yeah, they're all like, what does this have to do anything with this? Because <laughs> he calls himself Captain America and they're like, who is this man? Yes. Jesus. They all think he's nuts. They all think he's nuts. But it's how crazy they think he is is the reason why they follow him back into all of it. Yeah. So while they're going out there, they're trying to essentially at this point destroy the facility while also getting out. Mm -hmm. Steve is trying to find Bucky. Which I mean he does. He does. He finds him in what looks to be some sort of like doctored room facility. Yeah, some sort thing. of some sort of examination area. Mm-hmm. 
where he's clearly had something happen to him. We don't know what, you know, Steve works on like getting him to like kind of come to his senses a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it's just funny where like, as Steve is helping him get up, he's like, uh, where Steve goes, I thought you were dead. And Bucky's response is, I thought you were smaller. <laughs> what happened to you? I joined the army. Bucky's like, that's not what happens when you just join that's the army. That's not how this works. Friend. That's not how any of this works. But so then uh, Colonel Phillips is writing a letter saying that Steve Rogers was has been lost in action. Well, and we have to talk a little bit about Johann Schmidt and Steve and Bucky on the catwalk. Okay. Because this is the this is when he takes off the mask. Ah, that's right. And reveals that, that he is Red Skull. Um, so when they're in the Hydra facility, as Steve and Bucky are trying to leave, as everything is essentially coming down around them. Explosions. Because the Hydra has also decided, well, this facility's compromised, so we gotta go. <laughs> Let's blow it up in the way that they do. <laughs> um as one does when your secret super hideout has been discovered. Yeah. So Schmidt um, runs into them and is essentially mm -hmm. like, so looks like Dr. Skin finally did it. Look at you. And Steve and him fight and have this interesting moment um, where Steve hits him and you sort of see that his face is kind of askew. Yep. It's a little gross. Um, and Steve has said that Erskine said that their experiment was a failure. And Schmidt's like, mm -mm, absolutely not. I was his greatest success. And she just pulls his face essentially off, which we find is just like a mask, revealing a red skull, which we, you know, obviously leads us to believe that he is the red skull. Um, he's hideous and he doesn't have a nose. So essentially he's talking about how he embraces that he's left humanity behind because he's better than them now and how Steve should try it sometime. And him and Zola leave Steve and Bucky essentially to die, which doesn't happen, but. Um, then we reach Colonel Phillips who is writing a letter. Yes, and then the missing members of the 107th all show up and it's like, oh, so he, he can do all the things and it's during that moment at one point bucky says let's hear it for captain america i feel like it is one of the cheesiest lines i like the way sebastian the stan delivers it let's hear it for captain america <laughs> the way like, he delivers it is so funny it just feels so unnecessary like this isn't even talking about like delivery it's just the existence of the line itself, to me, feels unnecessary. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't honestly know uh, why they wrote it. I'm going to attribute it to McFeely again. <laughs> We're just going to blame him for all the things that are wrong. Now they've allowed Steve to actually join their operation. And while he was in the Hydra facility, he had seen a map that shows more of the Hydra facilities. And because he's a super soldier now, he has like super photographic memory. And he's telling them where all of these different bases are so that they can start to work at getting rid of Hydra. Yes. Yeah. And Which obviously works see, really well. 
Yeah. It's like, and we get to see kind of how like Steve gets to kind of create his own team that a system on different ops to kind of take all of this as it's supposed to go. Um, we also get to see a little bit of tension between Peggy and Steve because Peggy thinks she sees one thing when Steve is just, you know, massively awkward and has no idea how to say no. But there is, there are, there's one line that's like said multiple times throughout it. And it's one of the things that I think is well done in the script writing of the whole, I can do this all day. Mm -hmm. It really get it. That one line captures Steve's essence so well. And it gets a nice callback in a lot of the other movies. Yes. It, it's just that reminder of he has more to offer than you think he does. Yeah, because he was saying that when he was tiny and skinny and sick. Yes. So he propositions a lot of essentially a bunch of the guys that he had rescued um, from the 107th. And they're going to make sort of this special team that goes in and gets rid of all the Hydra facilities. Which they're all, they're not excited, but they're not not excited. I mean, their one condition is you have to open a tab. And he's like, sure, why not? <laughs> Which is another moment of tension sort of between Peggy and Steve. And I really like Bucky in the background of this scene when Peggy comes in in that red dress. Mm-hmm. And is talking to Steve about going dancing. And Bucky's like, that sounds great. And she's just looking at Steve the whole time. All the eye contact. Yep. Bucky's like, it's like I wasn't even here. He's like, I don't, this is not my life. He's like, I've turned into you. I've turned into you. And it it's just funny how, you know, Steve turns it back around and goes, well, maybe she has a friend. Yeah, because Bucky used to always bring him friends. Right. But it, you get the sense that that was how their conversations, like anytime Bucky got the the female attention. He was like, well, maybe she, maybe she has a friend. Yeah. Like, you got the sense that that was how their conversations always went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Steve was actually interested because until he meets Peggy, you don't really get the sense that Steve is actually interested in dating at all. Yeah. Not at all. I don't think it was important to him. And when he has that conversation with Peggy in the car on the way to his operation, you you get an, a clearer picture of how it's like it really has truly never been something that was super important to him. Yeah. And when but- the war started, he had something that became more important to him. Therefore, it kind of erased any idea that finding a wife was something that should be important to him. No. And I think he only really sees Peggy that way or starts to see her that way because she is very strong and very independent. And I don't think, honestly, he'd be used to that with the girls that Bucky would bring around. Yeah. So. No, Peggy is truly a different kind of woman than he has ever interacted with, which could be another way that we are getting that look of Steve being an orphan, so he didn't have a whole lot of time with his mom. Yeah. So, you know, because we have no idea when his parents passed at all, making him, quote, an orphan. Yeah. So it could just be that he never saw 
a strong woman. And when he meets Peggy, he's like, I like that one. I I want that one. I like that one. (laughs) Because like when he gets the flag, I don't get the sense that like he does that because no, he does that because he wants to. He wants to ride in the thing because he's tired because he has asthma. Exactly. Where like you can get the sense from all of the other soldiers. Yeah, because he makes it a thing about riding with Agent Carter. Agent Carter. Yes. It's not just the ride back. Because Steve gets in the car and he's like, ma'am, because he just looks excited to sit. Yes. (laughs) He just wants to sit down. Um, Howard does get to spend a little bit of time with um, what we find out again is part of the Tesseract, sort of the energy that the Tesseract, um, that Hydra has utilized the energy of the Tesseract and they got part of that. And so he's sort of getting to play with it a little bit, which is kind of an interesting call forward to eventually Tony doing kind of the same thing. When Steve is going after Johann Schmidt for quote, the final time, um, when we're, once they've learned like, Oh, there's going to be a bunch of missiles that are going and like going to basically going everywhere. And they're just doing what they can to stop them. Um, Peggy does like before he hops onto the plane, Peggy kisses him one last time. And while it is a very sweet moment, I always find it funny that Colonel Phillips is like, don't look at me. I'm not kissing you. I'm not kissing you. <laughs> Love that for them. And so it, you know, it adds a little bit of humor in the very serious moment that is actually happening. Yeah, because up until then, we've had a lot of serious moments. They've gone and they've destroyed all these Hydra facilities. He's lost his best friend because um, they do go and try to essentially take over what I believe is like a cargo train Mm -hmm. full of Hydra stuff. And when they're doing that, um, Bucky falls off the train. It's If you don't know about Bucky falling off the train, you don't know nothing because that was such like a thing when this movie came out. Yep. But then you have all of that. Complications happen. The only way that Steve's going to be able to prevent this from like killing anybody is if he puts it in the water. Thus is the end of what is thought to be the end anyways of Captain America. As he had to to land a plane in the water. When Peggy's just talking to him and she's like, well, I better see you for our dance next week. She's like crying. This whole <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is a very emotional moment <laughs> to be happening mm-hmm. over a radio. Um, and then you hear the the static of the, the radio going out on his plane. It's definitely. Oh, I think a difficult moment of like, wow. Captain America just dead. They all think that he's just dead. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. I mean, they they do try to find him because we do get to see Howard Stark trying to find Captain he America. He just never manages to do it in, in that time. Right. Which I think is something interesting because you, there's not a whole lot of interaction between Steve and Howard. Um, so the fact that we get to see Howard Stark like trying really hard to find him shows the kind of relationship that exists, which I think plays a part in how when uh, when Steve comes back in our present day 
and interacts with Tony Stark. Yeah, no, Tony doesn't like a lot Steve. of that relationship. Tony doesn't like Steve because his dad talked about Steve all the time about how great he was. And Tony's like, nobody's that good, you know? I couldn't be that good. I'm his own son. So yeah, Tony's definitely feeling some kind of way about about Steve. But and then so after that's like the last thing that we see that's in the 40s. And then we jump to present day and it it's Steve waking up in what is supposed to be a recovery room in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Because they were trying to ease him into it, but one of their details that they thought was a good one of having a baseball game play happened to be one that he was physically present for, so that's what trips him up. He's like, this is not real, and he busts through the wall. He was Fred D, and then he ends up in Times Square. And that's where he learns he's been asleep for over 70 years. Yes, from the lovely Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson. And then we have the credits. The end credit scene. Which I don't remember because it's been quite some time. If the end credit scene that is on Disney Plus is what was the end credits when it was initially released... Because at the very end, it does say Captain America will return, return in the Avengers. Yeah. But then the very next thing you see is a trailer for the Avengers. I'm not sure. And so, like, I mean, I can see how. I just don't remember if that was, in fact, what it was. Yeah. So that's Captain America, the first Avenger. I mean, I loved this movie. I was so excited for Captain America like because I read comic books as a kid and Captain America was one of the ones that it just I think it just ended up in my lap. Mm-hmm. And I was always very excited for this. And I will say he is my favorite MCU character um, for many reasons, not just because he's played by Chris Evans, <laughs> whatever anybody wants to say. Um, I like what Captain America stands for. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't read a whole lot of comments as a kid um i mean i read like the funny pages as a kid but like that's not you wouldn't have found this in the funny pages yeah it's like i almost want to dig into the comic universe a little bit but at the same time i don't know it's a lot honestly because there's there's also so many different sort of branches of Captain America like he starts to branch off and at some point this person becomes Captain America this person becomes right. Captain America and they're starting to sort of do that with like um, Falcon and Winter Soldier which just ended I would say that that Captain America is my favorite and it 100% has nothing to do with who <laughs> is playing it um, it's literally everything of how the character is presented and carries himself mm-hmm. like he just seems like a genuine human being who just wants nothing but kindness for the world yeah and that is very admirable but obviously we like the mcu i think eventually we'll talk more about different versions of it um and different not versions but different parts of it 
So I guess uh, where we're at is the thank yous. So we'll start by thanking Joe Simon and Jack Kirby because without them creating the comics for Captain America, we would not have what we do have. Mm -hmm. We can uh, also, we can thank Stan Lee. Yes. Because without his creation of Marvel, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. All of it. We wouldn't be where we are. Um, we can thank the very lovely, very wonderful, very hunky Chris Evans for playing, for taking this role after denying it three times. Thank you so much for doing that. You were born to play Z Rogers. I mean, he he has utilized that role a lot in a way that most people who get stuck with roles that will they'll probably always be recognized for for the rest of their life has. Yeah. I think the nice thing, too, about a lot of the Avengers are that they've really taken these characters because a lot of them just kind of seem to be their characters. Yes. And so they've done a really good job at utilizing the fact that they play these characters who are so mainstream and so well-loved to do good things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Specifically, I think, though, Chris Evans is a really great example of that. Yes. And obviously, thank you to everybody else who took part in the Captain America movie. Not just Chris. There were a lot of people involved. You're all wonderful. (laughs) I feel bad not including everybody. Um, And finally, big thank you. Well, not finally, but and thank you to Zakaka for our beautiful art, for making the things pretty for us. We love that about you. And thanks for tuning in to League of Lit. If you have any suggestions for an episode, feel free to leave a comment on leagueoflit.tumblr.com.